Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you are our guest today, we appreciate you being here. And you will find on the back of the pew in front of you a guest card. Please take that guest card and fill it out for us. And when you leave here today, just leave that card in the pew where you're sitting and we'll pick it up. I'd like to send you a letter thanking you for being here with us today. So please do that for us. We appreciate you doing that. It's a good day. It's a good day because the Lord's here. It's a good day because you're here. We're in a series called Real World Christianity. I've been in kind of a, I guess we all go through these different themes in our lives and for some time now, uh, I've been about this thing that Christians need to be real. Uh, Not compromising on essential principles, but we need to be real. We need to show uh, a real alternative to this world that is credible by this world. And we need, to, we need to live our lives in such a way that Christ is credible to this world. And uh, I, I wonder sometimes if we're really doing that. And so um, about two or three years ago, I think I preached a series called Christianity in the Real World. And here we are, real world Christianity. You can see that this has been something on my mind for some time. And I think it's something that... Uh, we need. It's based, this series is based on 1 Thessalonians, uh, Paul's first letter to the church at Thessalonica. It was the first letter ever written that is recorded in uh, the New Testament. In fact, it was the first New Testament book because all of Paul's letters were written before the first of the Gospels were written. And 1 Thessalonians was written sometime around the year 51. So we are about 20, 21 years out from the crucifixion and resurrection. Two decades have passed, churches are being started, and they're being grounded, they're being developed. Paul is very much concerned about the welfare of these churches, and he's writing to this young church of young Christians in Thessalonica uh, about being Christians in their real world. Last week we looked at chapter 1, and we, we saw what Paul described as the, the marks of a true Christian, and today... He zeroes in on a very personal section of this letter. You read it and he almost becomes defensive because there's something that has attacked him and he's being attacked at the very heart of who he is. And the title of this message is, is What Matters Most. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. We begin with verse 1. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know... We never use flattery, 
nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we, we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you have called us to live lives worthy of the name that we bear, the name that is above every name, the name to whom every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess, the name of Jesus Christ. You've called us to live lives worthy of Christ. And Lord, it is so important that we live in front of our families, our friends, our work colleagues, our, our school friends, that we live in front of those people as people who've been changed by a living Savior. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be aware of the, the importance, the essential significance of living for you in a way that shines a light, not a light for people to see us by, but a light through whom people can see Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, as we come to you, we pray for people in our church family, like Emmett Gentry and Gerald Todd and Miss Barbara Browning, for Ed Johnson, for Wanda Smith, for Rebecca Summers, for Sue Ellen Kearns. We pray, Lord, for Dottie Prietko, and we pray for Joan Cordell and Jake Cordell, and for Clyde Taylor and Charlie Pace. And Lord, I pray... For our church in these days, for our nation in these days, Lord, we've never known days like these. As a church leader, I've never known days like these. And Lord, we're often, more often than we want to admit, we're at a loss for what to do in these days. But God, point us to your word. And may your word point us to the rock who is greater than we are. And Lord, may we sense a difference in our lives, that, uh, a, a difference that holds us up in the face of uncertainty and hopelessness all around us. God, strengthen us by your spirit and by your grace and by your power. In Christ's name, we beg of you, Lord. Amen. We live in a world that is desperate for people of character. We long for leaders with character. And what makes it so pronounced, that need that we have for leadership with character, is the fact that uh, almost everywhere we look, we find leaders without it. 
we find people who seem to have no regard for character. We hear things about certain people who are in the news, and then we see polls uh, among people who say that it doesn't really matter what the character of that person is. We also have people who have seemed to have made it their business to spread things that aren't true, trying to ruin the character of otherwise uh, good people. I remember uh, when President Bush was in office, there were people who uh, tried to make him look like a buffoon. Even, even he says on the lecture circuit today that there were people who are amazed that he can read and that he can write and that he can speak. And of course, if you knew anything about President Bush, while he may be like me, there are times when he would stutter, when he would talk, you don't graduate from Yale University if you're a fool. Pretty smart guy. Uh, it's not just Republicans. I think about uh, President Obama. So many people, perhaps some of you, still believe he's a Muslim and that he wasn't born in this country. Really. I think it's time we start believing what is true and we start speaking what is also true, regardless of party affiliation. Today, we are in the uh, premature throes of a presidential election and people are thinking about character. There, there is, is so much analysis done to, to weigh in on every single word that every single person says, and to weigh in on every bit of their, uh, their history. Because we are hungry for people with character. And those people who have character are so afraid of, for instance, running for a political office because they know that every single nook and cranny of their lives will be put under a Hubble-sized, not telescope, but microscope, and their lives will be unveiled. And who among us can stand that kind of scrutiny? I don't know of anybody. Let me ask you this. When you think about the word character, when you think about the word character, when character comes to mind, whose picture do you see? Of course, there will be some who will say, well, I think about Jesus. There will be others who will bring it cl a little closer and they'll say, well, I think about a Billy Graham or a Mother Teresa. In my own life, I think of people who've meant uh, a great deal to my life. There's a preacher in North Georgia in his 80s named John Lummis who has a statue in my mind. He has been such an influence for godliness. I think about Fred Craddock, my mentor, who's retired and living in Blue Ridge, suffering with Parkinson's, and the, the impact he's had on preaching in our world. And I think about him. But what about closer people? Wh who do you think of when you think about character? Whose picture comes to mind? If you open up your own Webster's Dictionary to the place in the seas where character is, and somebody's picture you know is there, who do you think it would be? For some of you, it's going to be a picture of a... Uh, uh, of a fellow who now just, just kind of barely moves around named Tom Galat. Tom Galat's picture will be where character is. I think about Hugo Parkman. Hugo Parkman's picture would be where character is. I think about uh, Rebecca Thompson. Rebecca Thompson's picture is where character is. Billy Joyner. 
Miss Vera Smith. Some of you didn't know her, but I'll tell you right now, you talk about a godly, godly woman. And there are others we could name and mention whose picture would be there. Now, let me ask you this question. Will your picture be there? When you and I are in our 80s or 90s or when you and I are gone, and people meet in a place like this, and they hear a sermon like this, and they're asked to, to, to put a picture by the word character in their Webster's Dictionary, will your picture be there? God wants your picture there. And it doesn't matter. I mean, you say, well, I've already kind of messed up my life. There's no way my picture will be there. It doesn't matter where you've been. It matters where you're going. God is concerned about where you're headed. He's concerned about your future. He's concerned about your character from this point on. And from this point on, he wants your life to be such that decades down the road, when people look in that dictionary under the word character, it'll be your profile. It'll be your portrait that they see. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 1, written by a man who's desperately looking for happiness and meaning in his life, and he tries everything and anything and fails to succeed in finding happiness, but there there are a few things that he does hang his coat on and hangs on for dear life, and one of them, Ecclesiastes 7 1 says this, a good name is better than fine perfume. The writer of Proverbs, chapter 22, verse 1, says pretty much the same thing. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. A good name. We're talking about character here. The Apostle Paul was a man of character. But if you listen carefully to the second chapter of this letter, 1 Thessalonians You hear him aggravated. We don't like to think of our spiritual heroes as ever getting aggravated. We we like to think of them as calm, cool, collected, low-key. If World War II happens around them, they're kind of standing like Stonewall Jackson, untouched by this world. Paul's angry. He's, He's to the point of being defensive. And the reason is his character has been attacked. And he does not like it. And so he's responding to it. And what he says about character, what he says about uh, a good name, is something that needs to be, uh, that needs to be remembered by those of us who are living 2,000 years after Paul came and ministered and left. I want you to notice some realities that relate to character that Paul tells us about here in this chapter. The first thing I want you to hear is this. Character is who you are, but it is revealed by what you do. Character is who you are, but it is revealed by what you do. Daniel Taylor wrote an article for Christianity Today back in 1995, the The article is entitled, In Pursuit of Character. And here's what he says. He says, character is not something you have. 
It is something you are, but it is something you are that inevitably shows itself in what you do. It is determined by the stories of which you are a part. Character is who you are, but it is revealed by what you do, by how you live your life. Now, Paul knew at this point in his ministry that he was a man who had character. He, wasn't, he didn't believe that boastfully. It wasn't that he went out saying, oh, folks, I want you to look at me how blameless I am. That wasn't him at all. In fact, you won't hear him talking about it at all unless his character has been illegitimately attacked. And then he comes on the counteroffensive. For instance, in uh, verse number one, he says, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. You see, character is revealed by what you do. And there are a number of ways that we see that character is revealed by what you do. Paul says that it is revealed by the end results that you produce. By the end results you produce. Your impact upon lives. How people grow or they don't grow under your influence. Paul says, our ministry to you was not without results. Character also, he says, is revealed by the means you use to get results. Now, if you just hear that first part, that character is uh, revealed only by the end results, you think, well, the ends justify the means. What we accomplish in the end... Uh, justifies how we get to that accomplishment of the ends. But that's not what Paul's saying at all. The ends are definitely important. There must be fruit. There must be results. But he comes back and he says, not only are the ends important, but we reveal our character by how we get to the end. He says in verse 3, for the appeal that we made does not spring from error. We We didn't accomplish our ends by being untruthful to you or by impure motives, nor were we trying to trick you. He says we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up our greed. God is our witness. In other words, he's saying not only was the, were, were there results to our ministry that were, that were productive, but he says there, the means to which we, through which we came to those results was also above reproach. Character is who you are, but it is revealed by what you do. It is revealed by how you live your life. Character is also revealed by the actions, your actions during and reaction to opposition. Paul said this in verse 2. He says, we had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you well know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition, in the face of strong opposition. Gladys Melton was an African-American midwife in Florida who gave up a career in medicine to become a midwife, delivering literally thousands of children uh, in homes who could not afford health care in the state of Florida. She became well known in the uh, area of Walton County, Florida. And here's what she says. She says, whether life grinds you or polishes you depends on the material you are made of. 
You see, life will come with opposition. It will come with trials. It will come with struggle. It will come with persecution. There will be times when life flat knocks you, not just to your knees, but on your face, eating the dust of the ground. But whether or not you make it in life and whether or not your life glorifies God will depend upon your character. And and you better believe that whatever trials you go through will reveal your character. Character is who you are. But Paul wants you to know, and he wanted the Thessalonians to know, it is revealed by what we do, by the end results, by the means to the results, and what we do in reaction to and in the face of opposition and trial. The second thing I want you to get is this, that character can be tarnished. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter how, how, much you, how many gifts you have, how equipped you are, it doesn't matter how, how educated you might be, how trained you might be, it doesn't matter what your family's last name is and what kind of pedigree you've earned, tar- your, your character can be tarnished. And in this chapter, Paul tells us that there, of, of two different ways by which our character can be tarnished. First of all, it can be tarnished by false accusations. By false accusations. Listen to what he says in verse 3. Again, for the appeal we made does not spring from error. It does not spring from impure motives. We're not trying to trick you. We speak as those approved by God. We're not trying to please people, but God. We never use flattery. We didn't put on a mask to cover up anything. God is our witness. We weren't looking for praise from people, not from you or anybody else, even though we could have. What is he responding to? He's responding to somebody. We don't know who they were. We don't know what their names were. And we don't have the actual letter or comments uh, in writing of what they said. But evidently, Paul is responding to some people who were saying this. Paul was preaching error to you. Or he was preaching, but he wasn't preaching with, with pure motives. He was preaching to you, but he was really trying to trick you. Oh, he was preaching to you, but he wasn't sent by God. He was sent by some imposter. Oh, he was preaching to you, but he was trying to please people, not God. And therefore, he wasn't telling you the truth. They were saying he was preaching to you, but he was using flattering illustrations and flattering words. Oh, he was preaching to you, but he was trying to cover up his greed. He really was after your money. They were accusing him falsely. They were making false accusations about Paul. Have you ever been the uh, recipient of false accusations? You probably have. If you've lived at all, you probably have. And if you've lived at all, you may have been one of the ones who initiated a false witness against somebody. We've probably all done that. Hopefully we didn't do it without really intending to hurt them we've probably done it if you didn't initiate one there's a large number of christians i know who have been glad to pass on false witness without checking it out to see if seeing if it was true two months ago i got an email from a preacher in south georgia a preacher i know very well he was sending out something that he knew he had to have known wasn't true but i gave him the benefit of a doubt that maybe he didn't know I went, to, I went and did some research, and I sent that research back to him to show him that what he had sent out to about 75 people was not true. I said, you and I are brothers. And I said, I love you, and you've always been the light of every, every get-together I've ever been in. He's always 
quick with a joke and a smile, and he lights up every place. He's not a person who, who projects depression at all. He's, he's full of light. But in this particular case, he had spread something that was hurtful of somebody else and was not true. So I sent him the correct information. Never heard another word from him. That's kind of a pet peeve of mine. If I send out something that is not true, and you know it, and you send me back a correction, you send it to me, it is my obligation as a Christian, let alone as a minister, to resend a retraction to everybody to whom I first sent that false witness. That's just my obligation as a Christian. It's yours too. Character can be tarnished by false accusations. Somebody said, well, I, I just put that in God's hands. I know that if I'm living the best I can, uh, God's going to protect me from false accusation. He might. But he might not. There have been plenty of people who have been ruined by false accusation. But Paul says not only can your character be tarnished by that, it can be tarnished more than that by habitual unchristian behavior. By habitual unchristian behavior. Jesus said in one place that we, we would know a person by their fruits. He says a good tree will produce good fruit. A bad tree will produce bad fruit. He says a good tree will not produce bad fruit. And if you have good character, you're following the Lord, you will produce good fruit. But if your character is flawed, if you have developed yourself into a, a person with a flawed character, that flawed character will produce fruit with worms in it. And it will not be beneficial to anybody. Your character can be tarnished by false accusation, but even more than that, your character can be tarnished by the habitual unchristian conduct that you exhibit. Number three, Paul tells us in this chapter that Christian character is about living lives worthy of Jesus Christ. You see, there's a difference between just plain old character and Christian character. There's a difference. Uh, plain old character is good. It includes things like honesty and responsibility and dependability and love and compassion, and justice. All those kind of things are, are incorporated into just regular, plain old character, and they're wonderful, and they're good, but they're generic. But let me tell you, when you add that name Christian to character, Christian character, it encompasses all of the things that you would normally think of in plain old character, except it adds this, that you're doing all of these things, and you're possessing all of these things so that you will live lives worthy of Christ. You're doing it for a purpose that's higher than just being good old Sam or good old Sarah here on this earth. You're living in character for the purpose of shining the light of Christ. Christian character. Verse 11 says this, Paul says, you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. We encouraged you, we comforted you, and we urged you to get this, to live lives worthy of God who calls you into His kingdom and glory. Our character has the purpose 
of glorifying God. To glorify something means to add to its weight. The Old Testament word for glory literally meant weight. We still use that sometimes. Not, we don't use the word glory, but we use the, weight in that, the word weight in that same, same way. Somebody comes up and they tell us something. And it may be somebody who comes up pretty often complaining and always complaining and whining and, and spouting off about something. And you know what? They can come so often that their, their statements don't have any, say it, weight. But when someone comes who doesn't normally come up to you and they share a word with you, someone who doesn't normally compliment you on something, but they come to you and they, they compliment something that you've done. And they don't tell you this every single week, but every once in a while, they will, they will be on the other side of the church. They're not just walking by you, but they'll be on the other side of the church and they see you and they go out of their way to come to you and say, hey, I appreciate the way that you did that. I appreciate what you said to my neighbor. I appreciate the way that you helped this person. And I know that nobody else probably knows it, but I saw what you did. All of a sudden, that statement, that compliment has, say it, weight. That's glory. Our character should pour out in behavior that adds to the weight of God's Word. You see, when people see us in living in Christian character, one of the results over time should be that they find that God's Word has added weight because they see it lived and fleshed out in your life. Christian character is about living lives worthy of Jesus Christ. And then finally, Character, good character, Christian character is worth developing and it is worth defending. Paul defended himself against the attack of his false accusers because he believed that Christian character is worth both developing and defending. And it can be developed and it sometimes must be defended. It can be developed. Paul tells us, this same Paul in his letter to the Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, that you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your reasonable worship. And he says, don't be conformed by the cookie-cutter pattern of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You say, how do I develop good Christian character? It begins with the mind. You have to focus your mind toward the things of Christ and away from the things of this world. And it is easier said than done because the world quite often is so alluring and so attractive and so appealing and seems to be so productive and beneficial to us. But in reality, the end result is what the writer of Proverbs says. He says, there is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. True Christian character that is developed not by the being conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of our thoughts is one that will produce glory to God and it will be beneficial, truly beneficial, both to us and to others. James Whitcomb Riley has a complete work work of uh, uh, poems. One of his poems is is entitled Jim. It's about about a man who died and most of his life he he worked in a sweatshop, always for somebody else, usually for no amount of money and working uh, longer hours than, than should have been allowed for anybody to work for anybody else. And he died. And some of his comrades in this poem are remembering Jim. 
They're saying some of the usual things that you do right before and right after a funeral. One of the men standing there added this. He says, when God made Jim, I bet he didn't do anything else that day but just sit around and feel good. Can you imagine God feeling good about having made you? Can you imagine sometime in the future somebody, maybe somebody who's not even yet born, maybe somebody who's young right now, but, but sometime in the future, decades in the future, they make a statement like this. The kind of person I want to be is the kind of person, and you put, you put your name in there. The kind of person I want to be is the kind of person... Hugo Parkman is, Tom Gallat is, Fred Craddock is, Billy Joyner is, Vera Smith was, Rebecca Thompson is. Just outside of Florence, Alabama, there is an old antebellum mansion built before the Civil War but survived the Civil War. And if you go there... It's called Forks of Cypress. It's where, it's where the, the Jackson family lived. And you, you can tour the ruins of that old Annabella mansion. And when you get through, you can go out in the woods. And, and, and you don't have to travel too far in the woods until you come upon an old Jackson family cemetery. James Jackson, the father, one of the first settlers in that area of Alabama, his, his grave is there, and there are all kind of virtues listed on his tombstone. But not far from there is one of his sons, William Jackson. And on his tombstone, there are five words. Five words. And that's all that's there. A man of unquestioned integrity. I lived 64 years, and on his epitaph, those years are encapsulated in five words. A man of unquestioned integrity. Of course, I know how we are. When was the last time you went to a tombstone and found he was a sorry rascal? <laughs> but you know what I found? If he's a sorry rascal, they're not going to put on there he was a man of unquestioned integrity. There's a little boy sitting in the doctor's office with his mother, waiting to be seen by his doctor. And he looked up and there was a huge man walked in. There were a set of scales there. And this huge man stepped up on the scales, not knowing that the scales were broken. And when he stepped up on the scales, this huge man who looked about 340 or 50 pounds... He looked down, and the little boy was close enough. He looked down, and the scales read 75 pounds. And the boy turned to his mama. He says, what do you know, mama? This man's holla. <laughs> when it comes to your character... 
Don't be found hollow. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you call us to live lives worthy of you. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we don't. But God, I pray that on this day, on this Sunday in November 2011, we would renew our commitment to you to live lives of character. Lord, help us to cherish character like it's one of those valuables that so is to be so cherished that we'll even put it in a safe deposit box to make sure that nobody is able to touch it. But Father, character is something that we can't put in a deposit box. It must be shown through our lives. Lord, I pray that you would work through us and develop in us character that you can smile upon. That can make you just sit back after you, you develop us and just enjoy it all day long. Lord, in this service, I pray for someone to come and receive Christ as their Savior. Beginning that walk with you. Lord, I pray for someone who's a Christian to come and just, in talking to you, rededicate their lives to you. Lord, I pray for people who need to come and join this church to just step out and make the decision to join the church today. Lord, I pray for those who are saved, but they need to be baptized in water. They just step out and come make that decision today. Lord, I pray for people who've been troubled by some concern that I don't know anything about, nor should I know anything about, but they want to come and just talk with you at the altar. It's a place where life change occurs. And Lord, I pray that it would be a place where life change occurs today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.